Chad and John, the two-man power trip. That's uh, that's an awesome uh, name for yourselves. Good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, John. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Scotty Riggs, and you're listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie. Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two-man power trip of wrestling. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hear me. Fear me. What's going on, guys? This is a 7-foot, 330-pound DNA of TNA. That's right. My DNA is outer space. And you're listening to the two-man power trip of professional wrestling. You know, I, I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know 10 times more than I do. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling, and now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling brought to you and powered by Meowbox. Meowbox is a monthly cat subscription box service full of surprises and delivered to your door every single month. And please be sure to stay tuned a little bit later on in the show for a special promotion just for the listeners of the two-man power trip of wrestling courtesy of Meowbox and courtesy of Meowbox.com. And John, today we've got a very special episode that's a solo shot. Featuring you and our guest, Shark Boy. I guess you could say fitting for Halloween, fitting for October 31st. And when you think about Shark Boy, you think about the mask, and then a little bit later into his run, you think about the Shell Yeah and the Steve Austin impression and the vest and the whole nine yards. But you know, one thing I was kind of, you know, not skeptical of, but just surprised about is the story that Sharkboy has, the story about him training. Of course, you know, if you want to go back and listen to an old episode, you think about the Les Thatcher episode, and uh, even with Rory Fox, you know, where you think about the fact that Sharkboy was a part of that HWA training camp, and he really did turn that into a hell of a career. But, you know, the unique story behind Sharkboy is uh, is quite the listen, and I gotta say, you did a great job in uh, speaking with Shark Boy and getting so much uh, out of him. But uh, what's your take on the fact that the uniqueness, if that's even a word, of Shark Boy as a character, uh, and the fact that it's been able to last as long that it has? Yeah, Chad. You know what? Very. I mean, you said he was unique, and he's definitely unique. Not because of himself. You you sit there and you t- you know you listen to him, you talk to him, and you realize you know he's such a you know great speaker, such a great talker, such a smart guy and so smart to the business. And his character was very unique though, and it was very different. And you know, sometimes it can be considered jokey or whatever, but guess what? It got over and he was popular and everyone knew who he was and, and he always got a good pop when he was out there. But, you know, going back to him as, you know, the the wrestler and him as the person and, you know, getting stepping away from the gimmick for a little bit there. Interesting, you know, 
think about who his mentors were and you think about Les Thatcher who was his trainer and and then you realize why he's so smart to the business and why he gets it you know and it's so great to uh, to really see that you know uh, one of Les's pupils really learn from Les really take what Les has to you know has has to offer and basically um you know, turn into one hell of a long run and one hell of a career, dating back all the way from when he was, uh, you know, in HWA, then he was in WCW for a time, and then obviously his long run with TNA, and then he's all over the independent scene. So, I mean, Shark Boy always over, always getting a big pop, and uh, very cool to, you know, you know, look at the uh, the background, if you will, you know, where he came from and then where he is now as far as being a professional wrestler. But what about the actual character, Shark Boy? I mean, you know, you want to maybe be a little skeptical when you think about it. Um, but what about that origin of the Shark Boy character? And was there anything else that really stuck out to you in terms of maybe a revelation that you really never knew or didn't expect uh, coming from Shark Boy himself? Yeah, the Shark Boy character itself, the origins of the character, we do get into it and why he became Shark Boy and what it means to him and the whole character and the whole psychology behind the character and everything else. But so interesting, you know, thinking, if you think about it, like, oh, this guy's going to be a shark, like, oh, you know, that's not going to get over or that's stupid or whatever. But no, completely wrong. It got over and, and uh, it, I mean, he's still over today. He's still being booked everywhere. So you just think about. The origin, the character, the origin, excuse me, of the character, which we do get into, and that kind of stuff. But then you think about all the other stuff that he's been associated with, and all the other things that he's been involved with. I mean, he was on obviously MTV True Life with uh, Les Thatcher and a uh, past guest Rory Fox. He was all over that. He was on uh, ABC's 2020. They had a documentary on wrestling. He was all over that. Uh, he's been on Shark Week on Discovery. Obviously, the tie-in with Shark Boy, and then his name really got out there when Miramax. Uh, had a lawsuit with him and you know he obviously he sued them and we'll get into that with shark boy in the interview but uh, a lot of controversy because they created a character played by taylor i forget his last name um but he was shark boy with lava girl so obviously shark boy had to uh, have a take miramax to uh, court and everything else but you'll hear about that in the interview and that's just interesting part of uh shark boy because you're like man i know that name from somewhere let's just say you're not a wrestling fan well you know it because of uh the TV show or the movie with that kid and with Shark Boy suing them. So that Miramax lawsuit really did uh, play a major role a couple of years ago. And, you know, uh, obviously all the wrestling news sites were all over it. And it was kind of big news for a while. So that's interesting. And, and, and talking to him is very interesting about his whole career. And, you know, all the indies that he's worked in. I mentioned WCW. And, of course, we talk about his long run in TNA. And all his different partners and everything like that. But one of his most interesting relationships that uh, he talks about, and I, you know, I I wrote it down a couple times, and I, you know, I put it in quotes. What Brian Pillman told him, and it was so interesting to me because I just thought, man, that is so short and sweet, but so prophetic and so smart. And you'll hear exactly what Brian Pillman said to Shark Boy in the interview. It's actually two different quotes, and the one quote really stuck with me because. It is so smart and so ingenious, and that's how Shark Boy has been able to stay over for as long as he can. So, stick you know, stick around and make sure you listen to that Brian Pillman story because that might be my favorite you know part of the whole interview. 
Definitely stick around for that part of the interview. It is one of the highlights. I got to say, it was uh, quite the story. And you're right, it's a quote that definitely could stick with you. And I know how meticulous you are about the things you write down. So it really does resonate with its power in what Brian Pillman did tell Shark Boy about professional wrestling. But John, I want to tell you a little bit. I want to tell you a little bit about something that has to do with professional wrestling, and that is if you are a listener of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling, you're going to get. 10% off, that's right, 10% off at meowbox.com off your first monthly box subscription by entering the code POWERTRIP10, that's right, POWERTRIP10, throw that into the checkout box and you're going to get 10% off your first monthly box subscription courtesy of Meowbox and courtesy of meowbox.com. Now John, I've said enough, I'd like for you to move forward. Give them a little bit of two-man power trip of wrestling business. Tell them some of the big things that are coming up and tell them a little bit more about Meowbox. Yes, Chad, that's right. Meowbox. They're back, baby. Meowbox.com. Promo code POWERTRIP10. For all your Meowbox needs now with Meowbox, they have a service called One Box Can. For every Meowbox purchased, they will donate a can of food to a shelter cat on your behalf, so that is always great. Also, all the edible items that they have with Meowbox are made in the USA or Canada, so you know where edible items are coming from. Now, in my case, I have a very, very picky cat, Lucy, who has a very special diet. And what we need to do with her is exchange all the edible items for toys and surprises, which Lucy absolutely loves, and which is done no problem by Meowbox. So just remember again, that's meowbox.com, promo code POWERTRIP10 for 10% off your first subscription. Now also, keep in mind, coming up is a huge show at the big event in Queens, New York. And guess who's going to be there? The man who invented the Bite Club, Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Kevin Fertig, a.k.a. Mordecai. He will be on hand. It's been four years in exile, and he's back and better than ever. Check out his Facebook page, and check him out on our website, tmptofwrestling.com. That is tmptofwrestling.com, and you'll see all the Kevin Thorne you will want to see. Merchandise, pictures. You know, some messages from Kev. Everything you'll ever need. So just also remember, he will be at the big event November 14th in Queens, New York. That is a Saturday. So keep in mind and uh, try to head over there and meet Kevin yourself. You will not be sorry. Also, another big signing by us will be done on 12-5, December 5th, Saturday at 11 a.m. in Virginia, in Annandale, Virginia, at the Collector's World. Yes, Paul Orndorff, Mr. Wonderful, will be there signing autographs, taking pictures, and meeting all the fans. That is the WWE Hall of Famer, one of the greats of all time, our good buddy, Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff. Now for some TMPT business, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at WrestlingPal, and at Two Man Power Trip. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube. We are always putting up the latest and greatest clips from our shows, so please check us out there and subscribe. Also, subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. And also, while you're there, check out the feed with past great episodes with guys like the late, great American Dream Dusty Rhodes, Jesse the Body Ventura, Nakita Koloff, Diamond Dallas Page, Stan the Larry Hansen, Tully Blanchard, and so, so, so many more. So please check that out. Also, don't forget to check us out on the I-95 Sports Network 
We're live every week with new best of episodes, so please Google it up and check us out on the I-95 Sports Network. And also don't forget, if you want to book Kevin Thorne, a.k.a. Kevin Furtick, a.k.a. Mordecai, please email bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. That is bookings at tmptofwrestling.com. And now, without any further ado, we send it over to a very unique interview and a great episode indeed that we did. A guy whose you know uniqueness is because of the character, not because of the person. I mean, I, you'll find out the person is a lot different than the character. And he's a man who's featured on MTV's True Life, ABC's 2020, Shark Week, and even had a little run-in with Miramax. He's a man spent a lot of time in TNA, spent some time in WCW. He is none other than Shark Boy. Please enjoy. champion we have an hwa cruiserweight champion he was featured in mtv's true life he was featured on abc's 2020 he's also been on shark week on the discovery channel and even had a little mix-up with miramax he is the world famous shark boy shark boy welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling how are you hey i'm good hey thanks for having me no problem now, first things first, I wanted to just talk about because uh, we recently had on Rory Fox, and then we recently had on uh, Les Thatcher, who was, you know, he obviously is a great trainer, great, uh, great promoter down there in HWA. But what was mm-hmm. it like all the way back then when you, obviously you were involved as well? MTV's True Life, because I believe that was 17 years ago, oddly enough. But what was that experience like? Uh, well, you know, I, I just broke into the business at that point and, um, MTV, uh, it was one of the very first true life, uh, series, you know, the very first episodes they ever did was, uh, was true life on pro wrestler. And they, they picked the, uh, picked the wrestling school that Les ran in Cincinnati, which is where I, I broke in. I'd only been uh, around the business a very short amount of time at that point. And so for me, it was uh it was a lot of great uh exposure you know um early on in my career and for that i'm i'm uh, i'm very grateful because it it really helped get my name out there early on yeah definitely definitely yeah and that that was actually quite popular obviously wrestling was you know at its highest point at that point as well but that show was quite popular and obviously les thatcher is quite a character and you know you just said you were breaking in under, under him what was it like training under les thatcher well, I'll tell you. Uh, first and foremost, I was I was super lucky to to find someone like Les who um, knows the business inside and out, and and really helped uh, lay a very very solid you know foundation for uh, for my wrestling career. Um, I learned how to work first. I learned how to wrestle first and foremost, and um, all the other stuff sort of came later on. So for that, um, you know, I'm 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 really grateful. I, I definitely learned the. Uh, the business, uh, the way uh, you're supposed to, or at least the, you know, the old school way. Um, and I think that's really, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons I'm still able to climb in the ring and do it, uh, do it today is because I, I learned it uh, properly from the start. Now with the, uh, you know, Les Thatcher and the way he is, would you say he's, you know, a little bit old school with the, uh, the training? Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, 
the guy's been around the business a long, long time. I, I'm not even sure how long now. Uh, I want to say it was he had been around the business maybe 37 or 38 years, something like that. When I when I trained there, so it's even longer. I, you know, uh, however many years to it now. Uh, I mean, the guy broke in and, and uh, learned the old school way without a doubt, and worked with some of the biggest names in the business. So, um, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, I, you know, I believe Les would agree that. Uh, his style of, of, of training is, is as old school as it gets. Now, obviously you're down there in, in Heartland with Les and you're, you're, you know, you're learning a lot and you're training a lot, but who were some of your fellow trainees and, and, you know, names that stick out to us? Uh, well, uh, I'm not sure how many of them you would have heard of. Uh, definitely, definitely Rory Fox, um, had a, a good little, uh, made a good little name for himself, uh, on that same MTV uh, show the true life i'm a pro wrestler they sort of followed him around and featured him on there um another name i guess that pops it right into my head is gq masters the third he was my very first opponent i ever wrestled in my career um he was sort of uh just a villainous manager character um and you know a little smaller than your your average wrestler with so was i so um obviously we got paired up early on and we worked together uh quite a bit so um, I just remember GQ and, uh, you know, um, one of my really close friends was a guy that went by the name of Chip Fairway, um, had the uh, golfer gimmick and um, was, uh, it was one of those things. He was a versatile guy. He could, he could work as a, as a baby face or a heel, you know, he could be, he could be good or bad. It didn't matter. Um, he was a, a real solid guy, you know, a real, real good guy in, in real life. So um did a lot of travel with him and GQ and, and Rory Fox and, and so many others. Uh, of course, you know, later on, HWA wound up getting a developmental deal, and we had a bunch of guys come in that were uh, sort of in the transition mode between WCW and, and WWE because uh, the WWE had just bought WCW. And so some guys with some contracts that I met in Atlanta uh, actually came up and started working out in Cincinnati with us. So um, it was kind of like uh, – I had friends from Cincinnati and friends from Atlanta. We were all sort of training together, which was a really neat time. And I, I really, uh, I think about that time uh, very fondly. Yeah, when you think about HWA, obviously, I mean, there was a ton of guys coming in and out of there. But one thing that I think about when I think about HWA and Les Thatcher and, you know, the time down there was those Brian Pillman memorial shows. Those those were always great. Even before, you know, the close of WCW and ECW and everything, it felt like, it was one of the only territories, the only places, and the only shows that had WWF, WCW, and ECW guys all on the same card. What are your recollections of the Brian Pillman Memorial shows? Well, to the best of my recollection, that it had never been done before. The the three major companies had never worked together on on any given show uh, up until that point. It was kind of that it, that was a, a really big deal in the business at the time. Uh, the first Memorial show was in um, 1998, and um, there was an ECW match. There was a there was a, a WCW match, and then the whole thing was hosted by Stone Cold Steve Austin and Sonny from the WWE. So, um, you know, uh, it was again that was another one of those things. It was a huge opportunity for me to sort of uh, put my name, uh, get my name out there, and and put myself on the map. Um, and I, and I just remember it being, so, it was for such a good cause. Um, Brian left behind uh, a big family. And so to help their children, uh, the way we could, any way we could was, uh, I think it was something that, you know, it just kind of brought the whole industry together. Of course, Brian worked in, uh, 
in all three of those companies. So um, I think there were people in all, in all those companies and in the wrestling world as a whole that everybody just kind of wanted to do whatever they could to sort of give back to Brian's family and just say thank you and we'll always uh, you know remember him fondly and 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 thank uh, thank them for all the memories that Brian gave us. No doubt, Brian Pillman. Perhaps a little, maybe a little underrated, but he was definitely one of the best ever. I mean, what a character, what a wrestler. I mean, he kind of had it all, a great talker as well. But he, on those shows, it was kind of like, you know, guys would get noticed, and you were one of those guys. And I guess, would you end up signing with WCW, you know, after you got recruited, you know, basically you got recruited at one of those shows? Yeah, what happened was um, Chris Canyon uh, was at the first Pillman show in 98. And he uh, can't, he actually uh, went out of his way to sort of come up and, and talk to me after the show and say how much he enjoyed the match, and that meant a ton to me because I really respected Chris. He was uh, he was doing the uh, the Mortis gimmick at the time, and um, you know I I could tell even then that I mean there was something about his matches that was uh, you know that that, that was uh, he was just such a solid wrestler. Anybody he wrestled, he he elevated, made them look better, and that was the true mark of a professional. You know, at least that's that's the way that I was I was taught. And so I really respected him, and he went out of his way to sort of come up and tell me he enjoyed my match, and that just meant the world to me. Well, a year later, we did a second Pillman Memorial show in '99, and um, there was a cruiserweight tournament, and uh, they and I wound up uh, winning the tournament. Uh, I wrestled three times on the, on that card, and at the end of the match, the the finals match, and when I when I I actually pinned my good friend Chip Fairway, who I mentioned earlier. Um, unbeknownst to me, out from the dressing room co- comes running all these big wrestling stars, Mick Foley, Al Snow, D'Lo Brown, uh, Road Dogg, uh, Jesse James was there, uh, Conan, um, all these guys, you know, climbed into the ring and lifted me up on their shoulders and, and carried me around. And, I mean, you talk about just the greatest moment you can imagine, you know, uh, in your in your professional life or otherwise. It was a really fantastic moment. Well, uh, the moment was photographed. It made some of the wrestling magazines, and um, you know, people were kind of talking about. It. There was a little buzz as far as independent wrestling goes. Who is this Shark Boy guy, and why did how how did that moment come to come to pass? You know, and so um, phone rings at the HWA office one day. I happened to be the only one there. Uh, I helped out in the office some, you know, while I was there. Picked up the phone and, um, hey, this is Chris Canyon from WCW. I'm trying to reach Shark Boy. And I said, well, you got him. This is me, you know. And so we started to talk, and he said, well, I heard all about the Pillman show again this year, and I remember your match from last year. And he said, uh, WCW is looking to hire some cruiserweights, and, and um, we sure would uh, we'd like to see you come try out for us uh, if you can make this, the Nitro taping up in Cleveland, which was about a three-and-a-half, four-hour drive from, you know, where I lived. And so I said, yeah, that's no problem whatsoever. I'll be there. So – I went up and uh, and tried out for WCW and and wound up getting a contract based on uh, based on the strength of maybe not that tryout match but the the one I had the next night was certainly a lot better so uh, I did you know two shows for him and and wound up signing with the company and moving to Atlanta and training at the power plant. That is amazing. Do you remember who your um, you know your tryout matches were again? The first night I wrestled a tag team uh, called the Kingpins. Uh, they did a, a bowling uh, gimmick, and um, for whatever reason, the match just didn't click. It just, it just wasn't uh, probably, probably on either one of our highlight tapes. You know, if you ask them, I'm sure they'd probably say the same thing. 
So uh, <laughs> they said, uh, and they said, you know, hey, if you'd like to come come do this again tomorrow, you just got to drive over to Pennsylvania to do it. And I said, I'll, I'll drive to California at this point, whatever. You know, I, I wanted to, I didn't want them to think that uh, that was, I had given them everything I was capable of. So the next night I went and wrestled and, uh, oh boy, I should be able to remember the fellow's name. He was a real solid guy. Um his name is escaping me right now, and I feel bad about that. It's on my website. If I can work a little shameless plug in, if you go back to <laughs> to uh, the year, uh, what's what year would that have been? 1999. Uh, I wrestled uh, these tryout matches, so uh, I can't. The fellow's name escapes me. I can't think of it. But a uh, real solid wrestler. We had a real good uh, singles match, and um, you know, I think that hopefully that. Uh, gave them a little better taste in their mouth about what I could do in the ring. And then, you know, ultimately, like I said, I, I wound up getting uh, offered a deal. So Now, obviously, you know, you get signed and you're in the power plant. What is the power plant like? Because you always hear stories about how it was, like, very military-like, very, you know, like they almost want you to quit. They're, they're almost too tough on you. What was it like? Well, I think that uh, there were a couple things going on there. I think that um, – in the case of when 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 people came in off the street and said this is something that I want to do, um, you know, or they had those sort of tryout kind of things and they they sort of auditioned people. I think they they beat those guys up pretty good. And by the same token, when uh, those of us who are under contract and sort of told to go to the power plant, whenever the the TV cameras were there, man, they they beat us up pretty good in front of those cameras too. Uh, but I'll tell you, you know, as rough as it was, and even on the easy days, it wasn't easy. I, you know, there was mornings I would get up. Monday through Friday, we were there from, like, you know, 930 in the morning till 3 or 4 in the afternoon. And so it was like a real job, and it was tough. You know, it was physical. And there were some mornings I would get up and just and stand in the shower and think, man, this, do I even really want to do this? <laughs> do I really want this that bad? So, um, you know, but they, they were, you know, it, it was tough. It was definitely tough. But I think when the cameras were there, when somebody kind of walked in off the street, uh, they really amped it up to 11 to, to get over how, you know, how how tough this business uh, this business is and how hard it is to learn. But I did learn a lot while I was down there. It wasn't like it was all um, cardio and all, you know, uh, calisthenics and things. It was there was some real wrestling knowledge to be learned down there. And, and if you couldn't learn something around some of the professionals that stopped by to help train, I, you know, I don't know uh, who, who would be able to teach you anything. So I, I was really grateful for the experience overall, as tough as it was uh, really up to my, uh, up to my game. Now I, uh, I quickly looked it up on, on the website. It was the guy's name was David Johnson. Again, ended up beating in uh, WCW. Never really heard of him. That sounds right. Yep, that sounds right. He was, he was. I mean, he was solid. We had we had a good little singles match, and uh, you know, the, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> now we uh, actually we recently talked to Alex Wright, and he was you know kind of saying the same thing about the power plant. You know, like uh, they would be a little rough on you at times, and uh, they would almost want some guys to quit. And you know, he he didn't like that because it's you know, you might lose somebody that, oh, you know, real talent just because you wanted to be, you know, a tough or a hard ass or kind of, kind of show off in front of somebody. So who were some of the trainers down at the power plant at that point? Well, Paul, Mr. Warren for Warndorf ran the power plant when I was there, he was in charge. And, um, primarily the training was done by Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. And, um, 
there was a couple other fellows down there that, that helped with the training. But then we would also have uh, sort of guest trainers. I mean, uh, William Regal stopped by and helped train. We had a couple of luchadors, a good one, Vianos, stopped by and, and helped train. Um, I can remember getting in the ring with, uh, when uh, Regal was there, David Taylor showed, showed us a lot of things. Um, plus, whenever they had to film something like a vignette or something, I, I remember like the Nitro girls would come in and, and work out there, you know, like do dance routines in the ring. Uh, Bill Goldberg shot a couple commercials there. He was there. You know, it, you never knew who was going to stop by. Dusty Rhodes came through. Jimmy Hart came through. They would they would sort of stop and see what we were up to and, and sort of uh, uh, check out the talent and see, you know, who, who they thought was going to be uh, the next next one they wanted to put on TV. So, um, you know, you just never knew. And whenever someone was there, I was always the first one to try to go, you know, pick their brain and, and, and ask questions and, and just find out anything, uh, anything that I could, uh, find out, you know, at that point, it was a, you know, a really great experience from that standpoint. You were in WCW, I guess for about six months or so. And you, you know, I think you were on Thunder a few times. I know you were on Saturday night a bunch of times. I remember some of those matches. What was your overall experience like in WCW? And you know, did you like the get you know obviously getting the exposure and being on TV? Yeah, without a doubt, that that uh, that's a real game changer. I mean, for me, I was it, it, there. You know, it never really wore off while I was there that I was working for one of the big two companies in the world. And you know, uh, it just ultimately it was it was sort of uh, it was just really satisfying to sort of to sort of get to that level and know that all the hard work that I put in you know, I paid off. And then of course the company wasn't around much, very, very, very much longer after I got down there. It was probably about a year and a half later they went out of business. So, you know, um, it just, it just didn't last long enough. That's my biggest complaint. <laughs> hmm. Any standout matches from your uh, point of view while you're in WCW? Uh, I'll tell you my first Saturday night, taping was against Norman Smiley, I think. That was the very first one I did on Saturday night. And I always think about that one. That was just a lot of fun. He what a great guy. What a great guy uh Norman was. And just to get to work with him and uh and everything was uh was a true real treat. I also remember I really enjoyed the match I had with uh Psychosis. That was another good uh match I, I you know I think of fondly. I also worked with uh uh three count and the six man tag. Uh, which was a lot of fun too. So I just, you know, it was it was fun. It was a good experience, and it was getting my my face on, well, my mask on TV, and and all those things combined made it, uh, you know, really a really fun time in my career. No doubt about that. And uh, I look back on WCW quite fondly. But you just mentioned the mask, so I gotta ask, where did the Shark Boy, you know, the mask and and the character and, and the whole gimmick, where did that come from? Well, originally, the whole thing was sort of inspired by a song. I heard this song. Oh, I think the song came out around, let me do some math here, probably about 97 it came out. That's when I debuted the the character. So um, the song was called I Come From The Water by a band called The Toadies. Uh, Just a really cool rock song they were playing on the radio stations around here at the time. And um, I just thought, man, that would make really cool entrance music on an independent show. And, um, you know, just the character sort of sprang from that, uh, just the idea of sort of coming from the water and fighting the villains in, in wrestling was kind of the original concept. And I started out as a piranha and uh, evolved into Shark Boy when I went to work for um, Ian Rotten's group in IWA Mid-South uh, down in Louisville, Kentucky. That's uh, He was the first promoter that ever used, um, used me as Shark Boy. 
Now, with uh, being in the IWA Mid-South, I know you won the, the lightweight um, championship down there, but uh, you hear a lot of stories about Ian Rodden and him not paying guys and stuff like that. Have you ever uh, ran into any you know, altercations like that with him of not getting paid or him screwing <laughs> over guys? Well, I hope not because next week I'm I'm on the IWA anniversary show. So <laughs> oh, I hope everything's okay. <laughs> yes, they're having their 19-year uh, anniversary uh, on Friday, a week from a week from today. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but uh, uh, a week from the day we're doing this interview, uh, I'll be down there uh, working for them. Um, trying to find some details here. It's not in Louisville. It's in Indiana, right over the right over the bridge there in Clarksville. Yeah, Clarksville, Indiana. That's Colgate Gym. Uh, IWA has a Facebook page. It's IWA Mid-South Wrestling. I mentioned my website earlier, sharkboy.net. I don't have the flyers kind of new to me, so I don't have it up on my website yet, but I'm going to try to get it up there this weekend. So by the time people hear the sound of my voice, hopefully there'll be information on my website, sharkboy.net. IWA has stuff on their Facebook about the show. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I worked for Ian a long time, and um, you know, to be honest with you, he doesn't he doesn't owe me any money. I mean, uh, you know, I've heard stories like that too, and I I I know there's uh, been times when he may have come up a little short, but then tried to make up for it on the other end with me. So I personally can't complain about anything like that. I don't have I have a list of promoters who owe me money, and, and Ian's not on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I'm almost tempted to ask about that list, but I, I, I won't. I will. Uh, oh, I will you know what? On. Probably the fewer names I mention, the better, from a legal standpoint. I would think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was actually going to say, you know, speaking of uh, possible legal matters and stuff like that, I don't know how much you can actually talk about it or not. But I remember, I guess it was around 2005 when Miramax came out with that Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Uh, I guess it's a, a movie show, whatever you know, whatever it is. But I know you had a lawsuit against them. Can you talk about, you know, what that was all about and and basically them taking the Shark Boy name and trying to, you know, basically, you know, make their own character off of it? Well, the uh, w- when the when the movie came out, I filed a uh, lawsuit uh, based on trademark infringement. Um, both sides, uh, we managed to settle out of court, and you know, it was for an undisclosed amount. And that's that's all I can say from a legal standpoint, right there. Um, is and that's it. <laughs> I have people always bring it up. People always ask about it, and my answer is always pretty much the same. I, I just it's not something I can talk about legally. Oh, okay, gotcha. I kind of didn't uh, didn't think you could, but I, I just wanted to bring that up because it was so interesting that uh, you know it kind of was a big big hit amongst kids. So it was kind of interesting, uh, you know, a little tidbit about your career to throw out there. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, like, well, it was definitely the movie was definitely a, a hit with some kids. Uh, my own child was five when it came out, and he enjoyed it. So <laughs> so you know, I, I I believe me, I saw that firsthand. That's you know that's, that's kind of funny. It's like, hey, my dad's shark boy. That's yeah, not, you well, know, that's you know, dad, but, yeah. he was five. He was five at the time. So I mean, uh, you know, I could I could be shark boy, and 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 there could still be that movie as far as you know a five year old's concerned. Yeah, very 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 true. Now uh, speaking of maybe some uh, rumors about people not getting paid and stuff, you. We move on to TNA, and and you move on, and you you sign there, uh, or you, you know you kind of debut there. What in, what a what a segue the, that was. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to make it work. I don't know if I could make it work, but 
TNA wrestling, you, you know, you make your uh, your debut in 2002. What were your thoughts on TNA, you know, when it first started? Did you think it would be around 13, 14 years later? Well, I sure hoped it would. Uh, the, the business needed it. The business needed something else at that point, you know. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the cola business is a good example. I use this example all the time. Uh, if, if there was only Coca-Cola and no Pepsi or vice versa, uh, the price would be sky high and the product wouldn't be very good. Um, competition breeds uh, better products, you know, and it, and it breeds um, uh, better uh, um, better deals, more bang for your buck. So um, the, the business needed a, a second company. And so it's a good thing TNA showed up, and I was proud to be there. I was absolutely, you know, thrilled to be there. And, um, you know, did I think it would last as long as it has? I hoped it would have. You know, I, I wanted it, I wanted to stick around. I, even today, I, I root for the company, no doubt. It's funny because WWE, you know, without WCW, you know, so to say, like, you know, the big main promotions on TV, they seem to be just kind of, you know, just like floundering. They don't they don't really do anything to really garner a lot of people wanting to watch it. So that but, analogy was that a shark was that a crazy. shark reference right there? Floundering was that a shark <laughs> reference? Uh, yes, I guess you can say it was. Yeah, <laughs> you're still in my gimmick. You know that, right? I I was adding to it. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's, you're enhancing it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt you. What uh, what what point were you making? Oh, I was saying that um, you know. Basically, your soda analogy was great because WWE, without WWE or without a show on major TV, they kind of just, you know, they're just kind of there. They don't really push it, you know, like the Attitude Era where, you know, they were making new stars and making new gimmicks. They were really, really pushing themselves out there and trying to be different. Now they're kind of just basically just staying well, the same and not trying to do anything yeah. different. Who are you competing with? You're not competing with anybody. So what's the point, you know, you, you just sort of put out there what, what you, what you want or what you think will work well enough, but you know, it's never, there's never any bar that needs to be raised or any uh, envelopes that need to be pushed. You know, it's uh status quo and we're not, we don't have, we're not racing anybody. So what's the point we can, we can sort of, uh, uh, you know, we can sort of go on cruise control right now because uh, we may need to step on the gas later if some competition shows up, which is, you know, that just goes to my earlier point that competition sort of uh, breeds a better product. Yes, definitely. No doubt about that. And obviously, with that competition came Jeff and Jerry Jarrett, who you were running TNA, you know, originally at that point. What was it like working for the Jarretts? Well, I, I enjoyed it a lot. I tell you, I met Jeff, um, met him originally, I think, at one of the Saturday night uh, tapings probably. And then, um, and then also at the, uh, the group known as uh, world wrestling all-stars had a couple of pay-per-views. Uh, I, I, he was, uh, a part of those as well. At least one of them, I think maybe both of them, but, um, so I, you know, I've been around Jeff and, 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 and talked to him and, and spent a little bit of time with him. And, um, also another guy that was really influential in helping me get in the door was, uh, was Jeremy Borash. Same kind of deal. I, I may have run into him in WCW originally, but, uh, the the, uh, the World Wrestling All Star shows I, I was around him and uh, and and Jeremy sort of went to bat for me dropped my name with Jeff and Jeff said yeah I, do, I know Sharky yeah that you know we'll give him a shot and so uh, you know just sort of uh, the WCW and then and then the WWA thing sort of sort of bridged into an opportunity with uh, with TNA and um, you know I, I enjoyed my time there a lot working for Jeff uh, was great I actually got to wrestle Jeff on a show uh, maybe even a couple times I think and um, 
You know, his dad was there in the beginning, uh, but uh, but Jerry wasn't around uh, for for too too long. But I I sure did enjoy uh, meeting him and working for him as well. Definitely a name that uh, I know and, and respect in the wrestling business. Well, after basically after you know Jeff and Jerry start the company, there would seem to be a lot of uh, different chiefs coming in, and maybe not enough Indians, I guess you could say. Because, you know, obviously Dixie would come and she'd be a major part of the company. Obviously, she's the owner. But then you'd have other guys like Vince Russo, and then they bring in Hogan, and they bring in Bischoff. And do you ever get the, you know, the feeling that TNA didn't really have the right direction? Like they almost were bringing in too many, many different, you know, voices? Um, I mean, that's that's one way of uh, of looking at it. Um I don't know. I, I mean, it's definitely true that too many, too many uh, chefs spoil the soup. But um, I'm not sure that uh, that that was the situation there or not. I just think that uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, the things that uh, the things that were tried at certain points just didn't didn't work as well as as we'd hoped. Um, I could go into specifics, but I mean, you probably already kind of know what I'm talking about. There's certain, you know, uh, whether you're talking about some of the the house show loops that were maybe weren't uh, weren't as as well thought out as they could have been, or it just for whatever reason we ran into some bad luck with a loop. Um, you know, the, maybe the house shows lost too much money. Um, you know, move we'll we'll change nights and try to go up against Raw. That didn't work out as well as we would have liked. Uh, we'll change the ring, change it back. You know, um, it just I think some things were tempted that just didn't and you know it, but you have to try i mean if, if you're not trying then you know you're not you know if, you, if you're not attempting something and and you and there's a possibility you're you'll fail you're not really trying to succeed so i don't fault anybody in the company for those kind of moves i think that there was a lot of those things were things that we we had to try and we and, and and the company was attempting to to grow and get bigger and get more well known and so um you know was the problem too much uh input from too many places that might have been a problem, but I I don't know that that was the uh, the biggest or the only problem. It feels like um, you know they definitely tried some different things and some things didn't work, and uh, you know and they would bring different people in in and out. And obviously you've been a part of TNA for a long time, and you know you kind of left in 2011, but then you came back uh, sporadically throughout the years, and you actually recently were in TNA and you wrestled EC3. Uh, part of a TNA mm-hmm. World Title match. What was it like? I was you know, close. Coming back? I came close. I almost became the champion right there. I came close. Yes. What was it like? <laughs> you know, c- coming back to TNA though, and, and wrestling in that that uh, you know that World uh, Title match. Was it different this time around? Yeah, I mean it was. It, it was just because I don't know. When, whenever you leave somewhere for a while, and there's changes that happen, then you come back. Oh, that's that's different. You know, it's not like it, it's not unlike any other job or any other profession probably but uh you know for me more than anything it was i always look at those things as an opportunity not only just to get back on tv for a little bit and that always creates a, a ripple effect if you will as far as you know i get some independent work out of it and some other good things happen uh so i look forward to that but I, more than anything more than anything i look forward to just seeing old friends man people i hadn't seen in a while and and i maybe even get to meet uh, a few new people that I'd, I'd seen their work and i'd never got a chance to shake their hand before and so that was cool too but like just getting to see everybody from from over the years that i used to run up and down the roads with all the time and i hardly ever see them or even talk to them anymore you know it just i, I always 
really, really look forward look forward to that uh, that element of uh, returning to TNA. Were you surprised to see so many different faces back there? I know you're talking about you know the faces you do know, but obviously there's been a lot of changeover with TNA. Yeah, there really has. Uh, was I surprised? No, because I I try my best to uh, to keep up with the product. You know, uh, even when I'm not a part of it, I try to try to sort of know at least know what's going on. If I can't watch every single episode, I try. But uh, I tell you, there's so, there's so much wrestling on now. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, I mean, there's there's an entire network dedicated to it. There's there's this and there's that and there's so many companies now that are on TV and and there's so many. I mean, then you add the internet to it. There's so much you can look at on the internet and and you know uh i've got a i got a new uh baby boy he's only uh seven months old so that believe me eats into my time a, a, a lot believe me um but you know and 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 some other things going on that just you know i try to keep up with the product and you know i wasn't surprised when i got down there and saw um a bunch of new faces because i i know i knew that uh they were trying new things trying trying new guys out and that's but that's you know the nature of the of the business is you, you got to, got to keep it fresh and, and sort of uh, have new faces and new ideas all the time, you know, on, on, with your product. Otherwise it gets stale. That is definitely, definitely true. And TNA, you know, they're going through a lot of, uh, a lot of changes, a lot of uh, different networks. And there's, you know, rumor that maybe they might not get picked up this time by Destination America as far as 2016 is concerned. But do you ever ever have any issues with TNA as far as, like, pay? Because there's been some rumors with some guys like Sam Shaw and Gunner saying, you know, that, uh, you know, they didn't get paid and, you know, they're still owed money. Did you ever ever have any of those kind of issues in TNA? I I, I think, I you know, uh, there, there have been uh, possibly a situation where things were delayed a little while. Um, but, again, I, I told you, I've got a list of promoters that owe me money. TNA's not on it. Um, they've, they've made good with me, everything they've ever, you know, said they were going to pay me. They've, they've made good on it. So I can't, I don't fall into that uh, category. Um, if there are guys that claim that, you know, I, I couldn't, I couldn't speak to that either. I really don't know. I just can tell you that wasn't my personal experience with the company. And whenever there was a delay, I don't think, I think they were, uh, you know, at least in my case, they were honest about it. What was going on exactly? You know, it was a, usually some, uh, office red tape situation, uh, you got to realize there's a bigger company in Texas and then the, the, comp, the TNA wrestling company in Nashville. And so some, sometimes some things had to go up the ladder and back down. And so, you know, that, that can create delays sometimes. And that's, I think, you know, in my case, anyway, whenever I ran into a delay with a paycheck, it was something like that. It wasn't um, ever that they, they were trying to stiff me or I never, I never got that, that feeling from the company. Now, with TNA, you had a very, very funny gimmick, and it was kind of out of nowhere, but I was just always curious if you actually enjoyed doing it. And I was that was the, oh, shell, yeah, the Stone Cold Steve Austin gimmick. Did you enjoy doing that, or was that kind of like tongue-in-cheek? You're like, all right, you know, or, you know, go be funny out there on TV. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, uh, Shark Boy was a character that hadn't spoken uh, up until that point. And um, it all just kind of stemmed from a, a silly impression that I would do um, – just to crack up the boys, uh, you know, it all started on a tour in India, me and Simon, Simon Diamond and Sanjay Dutt just sitting around cutting up and being silly. And we get back and, you know, Simon's telling everybody uh, backstage at TNA, hey, check this, hey, Shark, uh, what does uh, Stone Cold think about this or that or the other thing? And I, I launch into the impression, start doing the thing, you know. And and people would laugh and think it was funny. And, and Jeff, uh, Jared heard it and said, I want you to do that on TV. 
So um, what tur- what started out as just a silly impression I did of, of one of my favorite all-time wrestlers and, you know, truly uh, is meant to – it's a satire, but it's also meant, in my mind, it's meant to be a tribute to the guy, um, you know, because I just think he's one of the best ever. And so, uh, you know, it's it's something that I do enjoy doing because I get to sort of go out there now here at the tail end of my career and, and kind of uh, – you know, it's a parody, and it's a, you know I'm mimicking uh, one of my heroes, one of my all-time heroes, and it's it's something it's something that uh, is fun to do because I, I I look at it like it's it's not really Stone Cold, it's sort of Stone Cold meets SpongeBob SquarePants or something like that. You know, it's uh it's sort of my take on it. He says hell yeah, I say shell yeah. Um, you know, I don't say damn, I say clam. I you know uh you know there it's things like that. You know, he drinks beer, I drink clam juice. It's you know. Um, it's 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 a parody and it's fun. It's a lot of fun and there's not enough fun in wrestling anymore. If you look around, these a lot of characters aren't they just aren't fun. And and that was a fun, uh, you know that's a fun thing that I get to do. So I'm and people people enjoy it. Even now when I do it on shows, people enjoy it. So yeah, not only was it funny, it was spot on because you really really. I mean, if you if you look away from the screen and you're not and, and you're not paying attention, it sounds exactly like Stone Cold Steve <laughs> Well, thank you. That, that's all just because I had a friend that would do uh, The Rock. He would call and leave me voicemails as The Rock. And I thought, no, I can't do The Rock. I don't do a very good Rock impression. But I thought, man, I know somebody I could do an impression of, and that's Stone Cold. So I would call him back and leave messages of Stone Cold. And, um, <laughs> you know, that's how it all started, man. It was just kind of a goof. And uh, But, you know, he, you know, Austin's a guy, I mean, you remember when he's, first started doing the the stone cold thing just how hot it was and how you know how um uh you would you were you were drawn to it you really wanted to see nothing like this had been done he was so good at being bad that he became a good guy you know and um it was uh it was something that definitely drew me and it was a huge inspiration on me as far as uh wanting to be a, a professional wrestler and wanting to entertain people very, very funny and obviously very spot on, and that is great. But as we start to wind it down here a little bit, you know, a question we always ask, especially a veteran like yourself who's been wrestling, you know, God, almost 20 years now. Do you have a favorite yeah, we don't match? Have to go. We don't have to go there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're a veteran. That's right, definitely. There's no doubt about that. Now, do you have a favorite match or maybe even matches you've had in your illustrious career? Um, one of my one of my real favorites, and it, it, it was uh, floating around on YouTube for a while. I don't know if it's there or it's not. Uh, I, I wrestled a, a dark match uh, for WWE, and I wrestled Chris Canyon, and um, we uh, we tore it down, man. We went out and had like a really great match, the opening match of the night, and so much so that when we got backstage, Chris got chewed out uh, because you know you're not supposed to do that in the opening match. What are what are the rest of the guys going to do now? You know. Uh, but I tell you, at the time, it was uh, it was unbelievable, and it, it, it landed me half a dozen more tryout matches with the company. So, um, you know, uh, I, I tell you, that's that's one of my all time favorites. I mean, I could probably sit here and name a handful of matches, but that's the one that usually pops into my head first. And if you can find it on YouTube, I think you know that's one of those ones I'm I'm proud of. He was such a talented guy. Like I said earlier, he always elevated everybody he he wrestled. So. Um, you know, it was just kind of a I, – I was almost a foregone conclusion we were going to have a good match because I just knew how good the guy was, and I was confident in my own ability. And so we went out there and did everything we could, and, and he got chewed out for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
he definitely was underrated and obviously gone too soon. And he was the innovator of offense. I you know always remember him having good matches. Like you said, he's just always elevated everyone else's game. Sure. Now, also in your career, you know, you wrestled Canyon, which is great. You wrestled uh, Jerry Lynn, and, and you mentioned before uh, Norman Smiley and a ton of other great guys. Who would you say is your favorite opponent that you had? Is there one guy that sticks out that you really gelled with? Yeah, I, I, like I said before, I think uh, Canyon's on the short list without a doubt. Probably some guys in the HWA. Uh, I enjoyed wrestling uh, Chip Fairway without a doubt. I enjoyed wrestling. Uh, Chad Collier was another guy. He was trained by Dean Malenko. Um, and we had a lot of, man, we, you know, the, the term in wrestling is we're married. We were married for a while. We wrestled each other for months and then wound up over in England at the same time and wrestled over there. Um, had a lot of good matches with him. I think I probably had 100 matches with Cody Hawk, another guy from Cincinnati who I really enjoyed uh, uh, wrestling in my career. Uh, he's, he uh, trained uh, Dean Ambrose, you know, the WWE. So, um Cody was another good guy uh, to, to work with. Um, and then, you know, I had, I had the opportunity to wrestle uh, Eddie Guerrero in a, in a three-way match with Billy Kidman. So um, that was, that's a, a, a real um, fond moment for me in the wrestling business. Uh, I mentioned I, yeah, I wrestled Jeff Jarrett. Uh, I, wrestled, I wrestled John Cena when he was the prototype. Um, you know, so, I mean, I don't know. The, the, you know, the, any, any one of those things is something that uh, – I look back on really fondly and consider myself really, really, uh, I consider myself very lucky to have, to have had those opportunities in my career. Definitely. I mean, you just named a ton of uh, awesome guys and almost uh, dream matches, if you will. Sure. Is there any guy that you haven't been able to wrestle that, you know, that you would want to have that dream match with that, you know, you never were quite able to wrestle? I mean, I was, it would have been great to wrestle Ric Flair. Go out there and just do a, and do a Flair match. I always wanted to do that. Um, that would have been that would have been a real uh, dream come true. There's any number of guys I could name. Uh, uh, Kurt Angle would be another one I would really enjoy working with. Shawn Michaels, you know, um, uh, Austin or The Rock or Mick Foley, you know, somebody like that. Um, you know, just a lot of the guys. Uh, you know, Brett the Hitman Hart. I can sit here all day and name guys, but a lot of the guys that I sort of uh, when I especially when I first broke into the business were were the guys that I emulated and the guys that I uh, studied and, and wanted to be like um, any, any of those guys really, I actually was lucky enough when, uh, when Brian Pillman injured his ankle in a, in a car accident, he was rehabbing at our gym in Cincinnati. And I got in a ring with Brian Pillman a, a few times and, and did some, uh, and did some matches when he was just kind of coming back and, and, you know, shaking the rust off. And, uh, so that, I mean, there's, there was a guy that was sort of like, uh, um, you know, playing catch with Babe Ruth, you know, that's what it felt like, um, for me, you know, and, and another moment that would, that sticks out, uh, I got to do a segment with, uh, macho man, Randy Savage, when he came to TNA, uh, for a real brief amount of time. And, um, he was my all time favorite when I was a kid, when I was a fan. So, um, doing a segment with macho man was incredible. That was like, uh, again, you know, it was like playing baseball with Joe DiMaggio or something, you know? That is unbelievable and uh, so cool, you know, to say that, you know, put, you know, put it on the old resume, if you will, you know, worked with the Macho Man, obviously one of the greatest of all time, without a shadow of a yeah. doubt. Yep, without a doubt. He was so cool about it, too. We uh, we got backstage after the segment, and uh, he gave me a hug, and he said, he said, thanks for the rub, brother, 
which essentially means, hey, man, thanks for uh, thanks for making me look good out there. Thanks for make elevating me out there, which is you know hilarious because he's like one of the biggest stars of all time, and I know he was I know he was kidding me and ribbing me, but he 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 was being good natured about it. He wasn't being mean about it. And, uh, and when you know to have your all time hero sort of bother to say something like that and, and give you a hug when he said it, you know, it was uh, what a great moment for me. It really was. Yeah, that's definitely an unbelievable honor for sure. Now, one final question for me, and, and we, we always like to say, you know, what's your legacy on the business? But what is, you know, the final stamp? You know, when, let's say, you know, when it's all said and done on Sharkboard, what is, what's the stamp you want to leave on the professional wrestling business? I just think that um, when my name comes up, I feel like people are, and, and you know, this is something, I don't get asked that question. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question, or, you know, it's been a long time. But what just sort of popped in my head was, um, I think you know, my name's going to come up and people are going to smile and shake their heads and say, you know, what the hell was that all about? Or, you know, what the shell was that all about, right? I mean, <laughs> how did that work? How did that <laughs> click? Why did so many fans enjoy it? Uh, how did that guy stay employed for so long? Um, he doesn't look like a wrestler. He doesn't, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he doesn't have the same natural ability. He did. He wasn't as big of a high flyer. It's funny. A lot of people regard me as a high flyer. I don't consider myself one. I'm definitely not a luchador. Um, I never did a, a triple moonsault to the floor or anything like that. Um, but for whatever reason, the character just clicked. It clicked with the fans and, you know, if I could sort of finish the thought with a with a quote, it was Brian Tillman who told me, just get over. Whatever you do, just get over. If the fans love you, then the promoters will book you and the money will follow. Whatever you do, just get over. And so that was always my, my goal was to go out there and win the fans over. You win them over, you, uh, you, you know, everything else sort of falls into place. So I hope people, I hope my legacy will be, that I was able to connect with the fans and it led to a lot of, a lot of great things, great and unexpected things for me. That is such a great line by Brian Pillman. I don't, you know, I don't know if you realize that the prophetic and you can always think like yourself, like, you know, this or that, but like, you know, all I need to do is just get over. It's so simple, but just get over three words, three words, just get over and always bring your gear. Always have your gear with you. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where can we find Sharkboy? Give us some plugs. I know you mentioned uh, Sharkboy.net, the website, but where else can we find Sharkboy? I'm on Twitter. Uh, that's at Sharkboy.net. At Sharkboy.net is my uh, Twitter handle. And um, those are really the main two places. I have a Facebook page that hasn't been touched in a good long while. And I could, just because I've sort of uh, uh, gotten into doing the Twitter thing and, you know, um, anything that I'm going to be involved in, I'm going to mention there. And it, usually the information makes its way onto Facebook one way or another. So, um, but the Twitter, uh, Twitter is a good spot to find me. Sharkpoint.net. I try to keep updated. I got a couple of dates that still need to, to go up there. I mentioned the IWA show next week. Um, and that's in, uh, near Louisville, Kentucky, uh, in Clarksville, Indiana. And then I'm also going to be appearing in, Flint, Michigan for Blue Water Championship Wrestling, which is another uh, group that I worked for years and years and years ago. I'll be making my return for them. I don't have the date in front of me. The information will be on my website, sharkboy.net. So if you live in the Flint, Michigan area, uh, getting close to Halloween will be a good time to to see me up there. Awesome. That sounds absolutely great. And I hope everybody checks out the website and 
follows you on Twitter. So, Sharpway, thank you so much.